Welcome to week 25 in the RCC. Today, we are getting into burdens and memories. Burdens and memories. This is a critical part of our journey, our pilgrimage together toward greater internal integration, because by definition, the way that IFS considers burdens, they're not integrated. By definition, traumatic memories are not integrated. And so this is our introduction to burdens and memories. I am Dr. Peter. I am happy to be with you again. It is great to be together. Last week, week 24, we explored how to be and what to do when one of your exiles is up in the moment. If that exile is up front and present, you are noticing it. Often there's a lot of intensity. If that exile is blended strongly, there's a lot of intensity. And that could be expressed through body sensations, through sensory experiences, primary emotions, impulses, desires, intense thoughts, assumptions, beliefs, all kinds of messages and self-talk and thoughts. Could be religious beliefs, beliefs about God. The thing about exiles is that they always carry a burden of some kind. And that's why they are exiled. That's why we call them exiles, because they're carrying a burden that's threatening to your protectors, to your managers, to your firefighters. That burden has an intensity about it. And that intensity in the burden is what causes fear and protective behaviors from your managers and firefighters. So last week, we talked about how to work with exiles when they're activated. We talked about breathing. We talked about remembering that exiles need to be seen, heard, known, and understood. They need to be noticed. We talked about how to engage with the exile who is up front and present and intense in real time. It's like working with a very upset child. And we talked about focusing on how to bring a felt sense of safety and security to the exile who is activated and upset, how to build that trust, how to build a confidence that it's okay to be with you as the self. And so we gave some tips about that, pausing and turning inward, realizing that you're blended, catching the attention of the exile, asking how you can be separate but near, asking about unblending, and then also unblending from concerned protectors, all the while keeping track of where you are with assessing your recollection and fostering connection so that you can listen to that exile's story from a place of stability and groundedness. That was what we were talking about all of last week in our interconnections talk. In this week's Interconnections talk, we are going to address two major topics, burdens and memories. Now, burdens, I've brought this word up before. We want to get a good definition of it. Richard Schwartz defines burdens as, quote, the extreme ideas and feeling states that accrue from frightening or shaming interactions or events, end quote. Burdens have the quality of being experiences that are unresolved and unintegrated. They are threads of your life that have not been woven into your life story in an organized and coherent way. 
the harmful events or the hurtful relationship or whatever that situation was has not been metabolized. It was too much to take in at the time. It was too much. It was too overwhelming. It was too distressing. It flooded you. And so it could not be integrated. Burdens usually have the following elements. They usually have a really painful feeling, a negative belief, an impulse or a desire, body sensations. A lot of times they're associated with a memory. Sometimes there's confusion. But let's go through these each in more specifically. A really painful feeling. This is a feeling that would be overwhelming in its intensity if it ever came fully into your conscious awareness. This intense grief, for example, or this intense fear, terror, or shame that would be overwhelming, or rage that would be really destructive if it was allowed to be let loose. Those are four really common painful feelings. There are other ones, but grief, fear, shame, and rage tend to be really common. There's often a negative belief or an assumption that goes along with the emotion that's part of the burden, right? So negative belief examples could be like, I'll never recover from this. There's no way that I can ever be whole again. The world has gone totally dark. That's a negative belief that might be associated with grief. This belief might be associated with fear, right? A belief that the world is dangerous, there's no place to hide, nowhere I can be safe. That would be a negative belief that would be in a burden, right? That would be part of the burden associated with fear. And for shame, there might be this kind of negative belief or assumption. I'm worthless, I'm no good, I'm unloved, I'm unlovable. And then a negative belief that might go along with rage could be, my father deserves to die. He's evil. He's a demon. That's a belief that might go along with rage in a burden around the rage and those beliefs. And then you could have impulses or desires, right? Again, with grief, I want to die. There's nothing left to live for. That might be an impulse or a desire. With fear, you might have the impulse or desire to run away and keep running and never look back. There could be an impulse of wanting to hide. I need to become invisible to the world. That might be associated with all the shame and a burden of shame. And then an impulse or desire of wanting to kill your father if there was a burden that was unresolved regarding your father and perhaps some abuse or neglect or something like that. Body sensations are also elements that can be part of burdens. We will talk more about how burdens can be borne by parts in the body when we discuss body memories in just a minute. And then all of these are wrapped up in the experience of painful, unintegrated memories. And there can be also, like I said, the sense of confusion that's a part of the burden. So what am I talking about with burdens? You might ask me, Dr. Peter, can you give me an example of what a burden would look like? Well, one from my life. I'll give you an example of a burden from my life. In the late 1960s, before he was married to my mother, my father was about to be drafted in the Vietnam War. So he enlisted in the Air Force, and he eventually went to officer training, became a navigator. 
And when I was very young, he was called off to another tour of duty. You know, so he was, he was deployed to Thailand. He was no longer in my daily life. I was very young, way too young to understand what was going on. And there was a burden of abandonment. That was the emotion. Where is my dad? Why did he leave me? I was too small. I was less than a year old. I assumed that my father wanted to go. Dad was big. He did. He was a big person. He could do what he wanted to do. He obviously chose to leave. No understanding that he was deployed. So there was this disconnect from my father. I can't find him. And I need to figure out a way to live without him. Right? And then also I experienced anger when he returned. Right? Where have you been? Right? And it was disruptive when my father returned to family life because you know, my mother spent a lot of attention, a lot of attention that uh, was now given to my father. And there was this whole adjustment period when we all came back together. So that's an example of a burden, a burden of abandonment held by a part of me. Let me give you another example of a burden from my life. And I discussed this one at length in episode 39 of Interior Integration for Catholics, my podcast. And that's a burden of shame. I'm just going to summarize it here. I go into it in more detail in that episode. But in January of 1976, I was six years old. I was a first grader at my Catholic school in Nina, Wisconsin. And recess had just ended. It's time to come in from the bitter cold outside. All the kids are taking off their boots, their scarves, hats, mittens, coats, snow pants. And I'm absent-minded. So I just kept undressing. In addition to all my winter gear, I also took off my pants. I also took off my pants. And in the silent, stunned amazements of my classmates, there I'm standing in the hallway in my underwear. And I looked down. I saw my bare, skinny white legs, my pants on the ground. And I realized what had happened just as Jan, the biggest of the second grade girls, broke the silence by calling out in her voice, Peter took his pants off. She was pointing at me and I heard like the rumble and the twittering and people uncomfortable. All my classmates saying, whoa, did you see that? He took his pants off. Right. So I regained control of my body I and, and I pulled my pants up and I, you know, I, I, I tried to pretend that nothing had happened, right? This became a burden of shame. I was so embarrassed. I was saying to myself, this is the assumptions, right? This is the thoughts. Stupid, stupid, stupid. You are so stupid. Why did you do that? My classmates think I'm a fool. None of them are going to want to hang out with me. I'm going to be the butt of jokes for the rest of my life. And I just wanted to get out of that hallway. I just wanted to get back to class, try to get back to something that was normal. I never told my parents about it. I didn't talk about it for decades, but this burden stayed with me for a long time. You can see that that emotion and that burden was shame and that there were all these negative beliefs, beliefs that I was stupid. There was this desire to hide, this impulse to hide. And the, 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 the impact of it, even when I thought about it afterwards, my, I would still blush, you know, those blood would come to my face. And so there are these body reactions as well. So really painful memory. And so I avoided it. I wouldn't think about it. I wouldn't allow it to be in my mind. It was a memory that was not integrated. It was more than I could handle at the time that that happened. Now, an important thing to remember about burdens is that they are not just memories of painful events. What's critical about burdens is that the experience is not 
integrated. The experience is not metabolized. It's not woven into the narrative of our life. A memory has to be fully processed in order for there to be psychological and emotional well-being. It can't be compartmentalized. It can't be sort of segregated. It can't be sealed off and encapsulated. You have to be able to make sense of it and weave it into your life story in a healthy way. Interestingly, Old Testament scholar Gary Anderson in his book, Sin, A History, describes how one of the oldest ways of understanding sin in recorded history is this notion of sin as a weight or a burden. And one example of this is the scapegoat. The scapegoat, we hear about it in Leviticus 16. I'm just going to read verse 22. On the day of atonement, the goat shall carry all of Israel's iniquities to an inaccessible region, and the goats shall be set free in the wilderness. Right? So the purpose of the scapegoat was to take the burden of the sins of Israel. All those Israelite sins were to be transferred to the goat, to the scapegoat, which would take them away into some remote wilderness where they would no longer impact the relationship that the Israelites had with God. There's a lot of examples that Gary Anderson gives of sin as a burden. I'm just going to read the closing lines of the prophet Micah. This is chapter 7, verse 19, where Micah says, God will take us back in love. He will crush underfoot our iniquities and cast them into the depths of the sea. Right? This idea of our iniquities, our sins as a burden. I just think it's really interesting that there is this phenomenological experience of these burdens and then an understanding of sin as a burden. Now, I'm not equating burdens with sins here. I'm not sure about all the theological ramifications. I do know, though, that historically we have looked at sin as a burden. Now, children need help processing and integrating their internal experiences. Children don't have enough of their own resources to integrate all their painful experiences on their own. They need attunement from their parents and from others. They need someone else who can see what the child is experiencing and resonate with the child. And often support isn't available. Maybe the parents aren't present. Remember my father when he was deployed to an airbase in Thailand? He, he couldn't be there for me, right? And nobody was there for me at the school to help me integrate that experience of you know being caught in, with my pants down literally and embarrassed. Right? Sometimes parents don't notice. Right? I didn't tell my parents about that undressing incident. They couldn't have known. Sometimes parents can't provide support. They're preoccupied with their own issues. They're blended with their own parts or maybe the really difficult situation. Or maybe there's a really difficult situation where the parents themselves are the source of the pain and the distress. Right? So when children don't have that opportunity to process and integrate their painful experiences, they remain unintegrated. And that's what generates symptoms. Right, so I want to talk about memories here, kind of five types of memories in our lives. And those are explicit memories, implicit memories, generic memories, symbolic memories, and body memories. Explicit memories, these are what we typically think of as memories. Jay Early describes explicit memories as, quote, a clear recollection of a specific situation, end quote. 
Explicit memories are a memory of one event, and it can have the quality of a video of that event. Now, implicit memories, these are memories that are less clear. They might be partial, vague, incomplete, fragmentary, where most or all of the memory is outside of our conscious awareness. There may just be an image or a sound or just a fragment of a scene or just a felt sense of an emotion. What comes to awareness is just the tip of the iceberg. There's a sense that there's a lot more there beneath the surface. So a five-year-old in a car crash might only have an image of the trees outside the car window upside down because the car flipped over. So that image might have stayed with that five-year-old just seeing the trees upside down because of the way the car was flipped. That would be an implicit memory. The next one is a generic memory, and that's a memory that gathers together similar events that happen many times and unites them all into one memory, a generalized memory, a generalized account of what happened. Maybe all the times that the bully in the playground roughed you up in the second grade, in the third grade, in the fourth grade, called you the same names and threatened you. It could be a generic memory that stands in for all those separate instances, just bringing them into one memory. A symbolic memory is when Uh, the larger context was represented in a symbolic form. Something happened, but it's representative in symbolic form. It's not a precise or accurate replaying of the actual event or situation. It's a symbolic representation of that event. So an example of this, a five-year-old girl remembers the final argument between her parents before their divorce and her father's leaving of the family as her father riding off at a, at a gallop into the sunset on a black horse, not looking back, rapidly getting smaller and smaller as she calls for him to come back. And then eventually he just vanishes from her sight. Now, in reality, the father didn't own a horse, never rode a horse. The memory is a symbol of what the girl experienced. It was a symbolic memory. And then the last type of memory is a body memory. And the APA Dictionary of Psychology defines a body memory or a somatic memory as a sensory recollection of trauma in the form of pain, arousal, tension, or discomfort, usually unaccompanied by words or images. So it doesn't usually have words or images. It's frequently the result of of trauma that happens before you can begin to recall explicit memories. And that can lead to sensory motor rather than cognitive encoding of the traumatic event. So for example, you're at a busy restaurant, all of a sudden your stomach is in knots, you can't eat anymore and you feel woozy. You don't know why. It's really surprising. It seemed to come out of nowhere. But as you explored it with your parts, you realized that there was a man who was laughing loudly in the restaurant with a laugh that sounded so similar to Uncle Bert. That was the uncle who was so loud and who roughhoused with you, with you at family gatherings when you didn't want to and he never stopped when you asked and who brushed away your father's ineffective attempts to make him stop because he was so much bigger and so much more dominant than your father. He just really intruded. He was scary. So when you heard that laugh in the restaurant, your body reacted, right? That's a body memory. And burdens can be connected to any of these five types of memories, couple of important points to close here. First, parts are not their burdens. Richard Schwartz in his book, No Bad Parts in 2021, said, quote, This distinction between parts and, their bird and the burdens they carry is crucial because many of the world's problems are related to the error that most paradigms for understanding the mind make. To mistake the burden for the part 
that carries it. Parts are often condemned for being their burdens, and that makes sense because other parts misunderstand parts with burdens. They misperceive the parts. So a part that feels and carries depression has a burden of depression. The depression is a burden. The depression is not the essence of the part. The depression is not intrinsic to the part. And that's why parts are not the passions. Sometimes Catholics make that mistake that a part with the burden of anger is the irascible passion. Not so. Parts have varying degrees of access to the passions, but they are not the passion. And let's remember what parts are. Parts are separate, independently operating personalities within us, each with its own unique, prominent needs, roles in our lives, emotions, body sensations, guiding beliefs and assumptions, typical thoughts, intentions, desires, attitudes, impulses, interpersonal style and worldview. Parts can have burdens of different kinds, but parts are not their burdens. Parts are not just emotions. They're not just mood states. They're not just beliefs. They're not just burdens. They are not their burdens. Parts are these separate personalities that operate within us. Now, we've been discussing how exiles have burdens, but protectors have burdens too. Protectors are usually burdened by their roles. For example, a watchful manager who has to be continually vigilant in suppressing an exile that has so much grief, otherwise they would be overwhelmed and flooding. That's a very difficult role. It's a burden for that manager. And I focused on what IFS discusses as personal burdens today. There are also what are called legacy burdens in IFS. And legacy burdens consist of those beliefs, emotions, sensations, memories, impulses, desires, attitudes, and so on that do not originate in our own life experience, but are passed on down through our family or ancestral lines from one generation to the next. So, for example, the impact of the Great Depression. My mother was born after the Great Depression ended. But the Great Depression had a huge impact on her parents, on, her, on my maternal grandparents. And this was something that my mother was burdened with, not because of direct experience with the Great Depression, but because of the impact of the Great Depression passed down through the generation before her. Slavery is often used as an example of a legacy burden because of the impact it had on subsequent generations. Well, that's it for today. Um, and I want to just close this and thank you for listening. I'm going to invite you into your interconnections talk and I will be with you on the other side.